Hello, and welcome to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line, Ben Golliver. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. Not too much at all. We have an awesome selection of mailbag questions coming. We've also got to talk through some pretty big news. You know, Kawhi Leonard, injury drama, uh, Cavaliers, you know, blowing up in smoke, Houston Rockets getting one over Golden State, and a whole bunch of other things. But before we start... I wanted to address uh, a specific emailer to openfloormail at gmail.com. Her name is Elizabeth. Now, Elizabeth describes herself as a 16-year-old girl. She lives in Charlotte. Uh, She's a member of the Mormon Church. And I can tell from uh, reading your email, Elizabeth, that you're brilliant. Uh, You're a great writer. I can tell that you have a very good family dynamic. You mentioned that you have five younger uh, siblings that you're trying to set a good example for and caring parents. Uh, I can tell you're sharp uh, and you've got a real wit to you, you know, down at the bottom of the email. You make note that you've been to Zion and it's the best national park. And you kind of (laughs) jabbed me a little bit by saying, you know, Bryce isn't half bad either. And I really appreciated that, Elizabeth. Um, I I loved your email because you came through very, very hard against Andrew uh, and his use of profanity, and you made a very, very compelling case. The best case I've ever seen from anyone. We have a complete basketball diehard here, Andrew Elizabeth. She sits in the nosebleed section uh, for Hornets games. She even likes Zach Levine. She's the real deal. Elizabeth, uh, thank you so much for emailing this. Now, I think it's time... We have a greater discussion off this email, though, Andrew. Do I really do think to? it's time. Do we really have to dive into it. We've got so much basketball to discuss. I don't know if we need to go deeper, but I'll let you cook here. No, no, we, we need to go a little bit deeper. Now, Elizabeth, uh, I'm not a man of the Bible, you know, not not very much. Uh, but one thing I would say, uh, the, the basketball Bible would tell you, you know, don't judge a player on his best days. Don't judge a player on his worst days. And it goes for podcast hosts as well. You know, don't judge Andrew or myself at our best moments. Don't judge us at our worst moments. Judge us right in there in between with our consistency and what we bring on a regular basis. Now, we know Andrew has an issue with profanity. And Elizabeth, I'm here to tell you and <laughs> your parents an that I can tell... I can tell you why he has a problem with profanity. When men hit age 30, uh, it's scary. It's very, very scary, and and things go wild. You know, some people buy Corvettes. You know, a guy like myself, uh, my drug of choice is oxygen uh, and, you know, solitude. I try to go out into the mountains like those beautiful national parks uh, and and really just, you know, process uh, aging that way. For Andrew, he processes it a little bit differently. And Elizabeth, I know you you listen to this uh, podcast very carefully, so I know you've seen some of the signs. Uh, what Andrew has, you know, deep in his heart is uh, a rebellious nostalgia, a youthfulness. <laughs> He's calling back to the days of the '90s and the early 2000s when boys could be boys. Oh my god! When the Wizards no, were—that's not. not what I'm doing. When the Wizards. <laughs> When the Wizards could still be called the Bullets and when UNC was still getting higher ranked recruits than the Duke Blue Devils. Oh, wow. Now, Elizabeth, you'll see this come through in lots of different ways. For example, his fondness for Taco Bell. He's putting interchangeable meat, 
cheese and everything else into his body, even though it's basically poison and even though he's a grown man. You'll see him eating terrible pizza at basketball games, spoiling the national anthem, all because it's a tradition that he's carried on for years and years. You'll also know uh, off mic, you know, Andrew isn't ashamed to admit that every once in a while, He's at a family gathering and he's wearing basketball shorts when he should obviously be wearing slacks. He has this little idea deep within inside him rebelling against adulthood. And he doesn't go there always. But Elizabeth and your parents as well, understand he's not perfect. He's going to have a profanity every once in a while on this podcast. The important thing is to not lose hope in Andrew, and I certainly haven't, because we've seen some absolutely amazing progress from him. Recently, he almost had his New Year's resolution uh, of not eating meat. <laughs> now, he didn't He didn't do it, but he thought I about it. Think about that it. Count, I did think about it. That, that counts as big progress. Now, Andrew actually sent me some pictures of a recent family trip with the in-laws. You're killing me. I can't Elizabeth, believe you're still going. <laughs> Please stop. Elizabeth. Elizabeth, I'm proud to report he wasn't wearing basketball shorts. And I really think in the most obvious moment of Andrew's progress here, he voted for LaMarcus Aldridge as an (laughs) all-star starter. Now, this was a guy who as recently as two years ago would not have even conceived of doing that. And he actually cast that ballot live on our show last week. So what I'm saying, Elizabeth, is this is a gigantic Uh, You know, this podcast is really a living, breathing organism. Andrew is becoming a better and more mature person. He's working through his 30 plus issues that all men have to go through. And I want you and his family to look past his worst, his worst moments, to look past those flippant F-bombs that he likes to throw out there every once in a while and judge him on the overall merits of what he brings to the table, which has been fantastic this year and always and also judge him on his best moments too. And it would be a real shame if we lost you, such a smart listener, over this issue. And I think it would be a real shame if we lost any other listeners because of the occasional profanity from Andrew. So guys, let's be Andrew's support system here. Every once in a while, he's going to do it. We know what he's working through. I'm here. I've got your back, Andrew. I definitely haven't given up on you. And now I'm ready to take questions about Kawhi Leonard. Okay. Uh, there's a lot to work through there. I cannot believe I expected you to go on for like maybe 60 seconds. That was a solid five minute deconstruction of my life and progress and lack thereof. Um, so thank you for exceeding any expectations I had, uh, (laughs) taking us down that rabbit hole for real though. Thank you to Elizabeth for the email. Very thoughtful. The other thing that you didn't mention is she said, I use this podcast to help win a lot of different basketball arguments with boys at school. They're always so surprised that I know so much about basketball, and Open Floor is a big part of that. We are honored to help you win arguments, and uh, I promise that I am going to try to curse less. That's a, that's a goal for 2018 for uh, for Elizabeth and the uh, the other. We get one or two emails per week about cursing, so. We'll work on it, but um, you mentioned... Well, look, Andrew, part of, the, part of the reason why I dwelled so deeply on this is so that we never have to <laughs> talk about so it again. Insane. We can always <laughs> refer people to the Elizabeth episode when we laid out in detail where we're at on profanity. Uh, so we've answered this once and for all. We don't have to do it again. 
And I really actually thank Elizabeth very much for, for having this conversation, for starting this conversation. And keep winning those arguments. That's awesome. Um, all right. So should we dive into Spurs discussion here? You mentioned my LaMarcus vote. Uh, you have always had close ties to the Spurs monastery. You've been a lifelong congregant, if you will. A few weeks ago, you texted me a photo of, of Patty Mills and Greg Popovich and said, hashtag relationship goals. So I'm curious for your take on what's <laughs> yeah. going on with Kawhi Leonard, because I'll, I'll read you an excerpt of, uh, of the Woj, Zach Lowe, I think Michael Wright, the, the three of them contributed to this report today. So uh, it says, months of discord centering on elements of treatment, rehabilitation, and timetables for a return from a, white, a, a right quadriceps injury have had a chilling impact on... San Antonio Spurs star Kawhi Leonard's relationship with the franchise and coaching staff, league sources told ESPN. Uh, under, under President and Coach Greg Popovich and General Manager R.C. Buford, the Spurs have had a two-decades-long history of strong relationships with star players, but multiple sources describe Leonard and his camp as distant and disconnected from the organization. So, do you have a take on all this? I mean, like... We have spent several months saying we have no idea what's going on in San Antonio. And this is kind of an interesting twist here because I don't think anyone would have guessed that there was a rift. No question. And I don't think we should necessarily rush to scream rift, rift, rift. I think my first takeaway is very simple. Kawhi Leonard is a human being. And it bothers me when people talk about guys like Kawhi Leonard or, frankly, you know, guys like myself, like we're robots and, you know, we just go through the motions and we don't have feelings and all this stuff. I mean, if I have to see one more joke about, oh, plug uh, Kawhi in, then unplug him again, uh, I will vomit. Okay. It's, it's not fair to him. He is a person. He's a person who has health issues. Health issues are very, very frustrating, especially when they're in that stop and go category. And so I think... Does it surprise me that he and his camp are frustrated right now that it's not working? No. He entered the season with MVP hopes. He entered the season with, you know, sneaker commercials that he wanted to roll out, uh, all of the other things that star players want to do. Remember, you know, he's kind of in his prime trying to build this up. And by the way, he's coming into the season after being shut down in the Western Conference Finals last year, not being able to come back and, you know, potentially chasing a title. If you think a guy who's improved as much as Kawhi Leonard over the course of his career isn't one of the most competitive, ruthlessly competitive guys in the league, you're dead wrong. So of course he's going to be frustrated by his treatment. Now, in terms of the he said, she said on oh, who handled this, you know, we're never going to know those things. Yeah, Ultimately, I expect situation. it to... Yeah, I expect it to kind of blow over. I trusted a lot of what R.C. Buford was saying in terms of how you know similar treatment had worked for a Tony Parker, how the, everyone had seemed to be on the same page at certain times of this treatment. Uh, and I think ultimately, uh, this is not much ado about nothing. It's much ado about a season potentially slipping away for both Kawhi Leonard and the Spurs. And that's something we said on last week's episode. You know, It was time to panic. It is time to panic because you need to have multiple months together with all of your main guys on the same page if you want to keep up with the Houstons and the Golden States of the world. And they're running out of time. Okay, so... I'm with you to a degree there. I don't necessarily trust the like blanket denials from R.C. Buford on, on all this 
because we just went through this with LaMarcus Aldridge where there was a year and a half of rumors about tension with the front office and and Popovich and people saying it wasn't a good fit. And then like um, three weeks ago, Popovich comes out and says, yep, LaMarcus wanted to be traded and we had to sit down and hash it out and we've had to come up with a new role for him this year. And it's working great. So that's fantastic. But uh, I don't... Like where there's smoke, there's probably fire. I do think you're right that um, it makes sense for everyone to be a little bit on edge on this stuff and be frustrated and sort of, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there have been some venting back and forth from ev- all sides involved here because it's this is just like a weird situation and nobody's getting what they want. Um, but I've always said like for, for the last year or so, that Kawhi is kind of the sleeper superstar who could move at some point because we've seen the Spurs fail to really build around him and they don't have many options. I still don't know why they gave Pau Gasol the deal that they gave him last summer. Um, And so I just think that this is, this is a, a sneaky big development here because he's a free agent at the end of next year. And granted they can offer him a supermax deal but uh, but if the if the relationship is deteriorating and the roster isn't improving, like he could be a real piece on the market. And then, like I mean, that's Kawhi is the type of guy who is so good. I don't think that the Spurs ever would trade him. And there are really only four or five guys in the league who are like that. Where like I don't think you ever trade LeBron. I don't think you ever trade Harden. I don't think you ever trade KD. And Kawhi is in that category of of superstar. So. It's definitely something to watch, and I and I'm I'm surprised that that it's gotten bad behind the scenes. I guess. Well, I think first things first in terms of you know difference of opinion over you know rest and treatment and all of that. Remember, Kawhi's in his prime. You know, guys like LeBron, you know, he's still refusing to sit. You know, he's years past his prime. See, you've got Paul George push pushing back from an injury very quickly. You've got Gordon Hayward. I wouldn't be surprised at all if he's antsy to get back on the court. Guys who are that good, they want to play. Is that, so that's a natural let me ask tension. You, let me ask you, is, is that what was happening here? Because I couldn't really tell, reading the report, I couldn't tell whether it was Kawhi saying, I'm not healthy enough to play, and the Spurs thinking he is, or the inverse where Kawhi wants to play and the Spurs saying he's not ready. I mean, what I read was that he kept finding himself in position where he wasn't feeling comfortable. And, and anytime you're in that situation, the Spurs want to shut things down. They're going to be better safe than sorry. I mean, they're never going to rush guy back onto the court if he's not feeling 100%. Um, so I think it's more of an, in, just an ingrained frustration of like, why am I not out there? And if you're Kawhi's handlers, I mean, just put yourself in a situation. You're his marketing manager. How much does this season suck for you? <laughs> I mean, it's terrible. <laughs> like this is the, the worst possible Kawhi's situation. You've been trying manager, to build everything up. Kawhi's marketing manager in general has a really difficult job. I know we said we're not going to call him a robot, but like, I, I think I've heard Kawhi speak three times in the last five years. Well, what I'm saying is at this point of his career, this is, was in theory, the unfurling, right? Like there's always some guys who come in super quiet and they open up a little bit more, a little bit more. We had seen signs of that from Kawhi. Uh, His recent commercial I thought was excellent. I mean, it it showed parts of his personality, (laughs) which no one has ever seen before. And I know for a fact, like the Jordan guys like Kawhi, they love to get Kawhi out front more because he has a very passionate fan base, not just in central Texas. I mean, uh, a lot of people respect the uh, the way that Kawhi goes about his business. So this is, you know, an atomic bomb in the middle of his development. 
as a uh, a marketing type of player, and that sucks. Yeah, uh, there's not no just question. for him, but for the people around him. There's no question. But that coming in terms into of your this, point, like hold on, there, there's there's no question that coming into this year, they were expecting to him to take another leap, and I think. I mean, you and I, if you if you want to go back to September, we're talking about him as like the the MVP favorite this year because of the way his offense had grown and the responsibilities he was going to have in San Antonio. So it's definitely a bummer that it hasn't happened. I I want to take this in a slightly different direction. Reading this, one thing I was thinking about, and it came up with the Kemba Walker news last week as well. It's a little strange. Uh, it's just different with Woj at ESPN. It, it's almost like when he reports a rumor, it's amplified to a degree that the, these things weren't a few years ago. And uh, it, maybe it's just like part of where, part of like the NBA's takeover these days. But I think it's, it's going to affect teams and, and player movement in, in weird ways to have this stuff broadcast the way it is now. Because in the past, like Woj would, would write a story like this and it would be a corner of like Yahoo. And now it's going to be like, there's going to be Kawhi debates on TV for the next three days. Like the Kemba Walker news was national news because of the, the platform that ESPN has. And it's just something that has struck me as odd the last few days. And it's going to probably continue throughout trade rumor season is like all of this stuff is, is now louder than it used to be. Yeah. I mean, I think there are two different situations. I think in the case of Charlotte, you know, the reason why that news is out there is because Rich Cho and Michael Jordan are putting on a garage sale Mm -hmm. and they're just trying to let everybody in the neighborhood know, Hey, (laughs) like, please Come bid bid on our trinkets, you know, like get a, get in on our old baseball cards and what do you want? Our, you know the any you know best price, you know, give me the best offer. It's yours. In terms of Kawhi, uh, you know, I, the Spurs are never going to be making a move uh, in relation to media reports. It's yeah. just not going to happen. They're going to already have solved that inside. So uh, if it comes out, you know, most likely um, it's a seed planting on behalf of Kawhi for something down the road. I think. You know, you were getting to some speculation territory about, okay, where is he going to be at 18 months free agency wise? Uh, you know, I think that's a fair conversation to start. Uh, but at the same time, you know, seeds are just seeds. You know, that doesn't necessarily mean he's on his way out the door. We have years of, of good blood between player and, and team and organization. We have years of remarkable development that San Antonio has pulled out of Kawhi Leonard and, and really shaped his game. Uh, and we know he's got good feelings from his time there. So, Again, that's the why I don't think we should rush to it. We should notice what's happening here. Right. Uh, but I don't think that this is like this. the Alamo is not on fire right now. Yeah. Well, and the Woj thing, that's like a half-finished thought for me. I'm more just sort of curious whether it's going to make a difference that all of this is now louder and at the forefront of sort of sports discourse now that now that Woj is at ESPN. Um, and, and we'll see what happens there. You're right. It's, this is all just sort of a monitoring situation. The last thing I wanted to say about Kawhi is thinking through potential destinations. It's just really hard to imagine him on any other team. Like I just, I could see the Celtics maybe making a play somehow. I could see him on the heat, but the heat don't really have the pieces to move. And I don't know if they would have pieces to attract him in free agency. And you just, when you run through the scenarios, like, Yes, he's a top five player, but because of 
his history in San Antonio, like if we want to be really real about it, like it's there, there's no way he's going to end up moving at some point. At least that that's the way it feels right now. Uh, I would guess that he stays in San Antonio for another contract. That just yeah. seems like it would be in everyone's best interest and his best interest. But I also think we fell into that same trap a little bit with Kyrie before this past summer where it just seemed like, oh, he was just so locked yeah. in with the Cavs forever. And then all of a sudden he turns out to be this flat earth truther. And <laughs> now he's the face <laughs> of a completely different franchise. It's so true. look, things can change pretty quickly. I would love, you know, Kawhi, you know, shave the braids. All of a sudden he's got a completely different personality and he's like the front of the Chicago Bulls. I mean, that would be a hilarious career turn. I don't know if he's got it in him, but I just say we don't, we shouldn't write uh, off him as a potential target or a guy who could move in the future. And I think that was your original point. And it's not a point a lot of other people make. So I'm giving you credit for that. Thank you. Thank you. Um, All right. Well, let's move on. And we have a couple developments to to hit from over the weekend. Number one, the bottom fell out in Cleveland. (laughs) So Thomas says, as we all know, the Cavs have been playing horrible defense of late. Many of the complaints are that this is due to starting Kevin Love at center and Isaiah Thomas at point guard. My big question is, why is Kevin Love starting at center? And why is Tristan Thompson coming off the bench? The Cavs paid him all of this money a couple years ago, and dude can't even play more than 20 minutes a game. I know he's been hurt, but he's healthy now. This is one of like six or seven different Cavs questions. The Tristan Thompson thing is interesting because... I mean, that's a guy that LeBron got paid, and you could say that about five or six guys up and down the Cleveland roster, and part of the reason that they're in this jam that they are is is because like LeBron has played GM here, and the guys he's picked are not very good. Um, you could, Like Iman Shumpert, same sort of situation. J.R. Smith is probably one of the four or five worst starters in the league, certainly among playoff teams. Like, I don't know. I, I, I don't want to press the panic button with Cleveland again because we've been down this road like five times in the last two years, but it's getting hard to ignore how disastrous they look when things don't go right. I think in fairness to LeBron, it's not that he's picking bad guys. He's just in a situation whenever you have like a big three stars like they had for years where they were constantly being forced to choose, do we keep a bad guy and overpay to uh, overpay to keep that bad player or do we settle for some you know, veteran minimum guy. And they've tried to go to that veteran minimum and midi mid-level route year after year too. And they've been pretty creative in doing that. Uh, It all starts with the fact that they had huge contracts at the top of their roster and everything else kind of trickles down from there. So I wouldn't say it's like LeBron is just, you know, like Jim Buss, you know, not a very good talent scout. I don't think that's quite the issue. I think it was more of a uh, a salary cap sheet situation there well, for Cleveland. it's interesting. However, and, they are stuck now. Either way, they're stuck right now. Yeah, and part and, of what LeBron has been doing is actually cool because he is forcing Dan Gilbert to pay guys what he thinks they're worth, um, whether it's you know, or what LeBron thinks they're worth, and he's he's not he's not asking Tristan Thompson to go take a pay cut, and he's not asking J.R. Smith to take a pay cut, which is which is laudable. But it does make things a lot more complicated when J.R. Smith's game falls off a cliff. And then it's like, all right, so how do we move this deal? How do we move Tristan Thompson's deal? Because you look around the league, like there are not only is every team set up front, but there are like 10 other teams that are trying to move overpaid centers. So it's going to be tricky for them to sort of 
maneuver from here. And really, like when you look at the deficiencies that the Cavs have, to me, I think a lot of this just goes back to the original deal to get Kevin Love, which made a ton of sense in July of 2006, of 2014. But then the, the Warriors happened and suddenly like Love was this big liability. And that's still an issue that they haven't really been able to solve. Yeah, I mean, the thing with Tristan Thompson, like, do you start him or do you start Love? It's like, look, the the roof is leaking everywhere. Yeah. You've got one bucket. <laughs> okay, so it doesn't matter where you move that bucket. I mean, if if you move Love to center in your second unit, you're going to struggle to defend, you know, in that situation as well. And I think it's, you know, this is not about singling out their individual defensive players, although that's very easy to do with film because they have a lot of bad defensive players. To me, the life with the team hasn't been very good recently. And also even bigger than that, LeBron's energy over the last couple of weeks and really maybe since Christmas has not been there. This is not kicking on all cylinders LeBron. He's getting his points, but he's struggling with some turnovers. Uh, you know, he's had a couple of off nights here recently, but just in general, he's not playing at that like warp speed that we're used to from LeBron. And you could chalk that up to too many minutes. I don't think he's missed a game all season. Uh, Those are not things that have uh, been the case here in in past seasons. He's either taken breaks or, uh, you know, he's gotten some rest nights off here and there. So I think you're seeing an accumulation of fatigue on LeBron's side that's impacting a, a lot of what they do. And usually, you know, sixth year LeBron would be able to paper over a lot of these defensive issues. Now, in terms of why you keep love, I mean, remember, their offense is amazing uh, when they're going with love at center and LeBron on the court and basically anyone else. I mean, you can nitpick Crowder, Smith, all these other guys and call them garbage and overpaid and all that. These guys are still a completely elite offense when they've got those players on the court. So there is a method to what they've been trying to do. Now, the biggest thing that I saw... Uh, over these last couple of days uh, was his comments about Ty Lue. Now, LeBron said uh, he was asked if Lou was going to get fired. LeBron said, I would hope not, but really don't know. I don't know what's going to happen <laughs> with our team. This, <laughs> I, have no I-, I have no idea what conversations have been going on. I've been trying to stay as laser sharp as I can to keep my guys ready to go out and play. Now, I think some LeBron haters would read that as he's throwing his coach under the bus. Uh-huh. I think there is a certain element to that, but I go back to something I said last summer, which is, you know, Dan Gilbert screwed up the front office tra- uh, transition so badly, screwed up the Kyrie Irving trades in, uh, situation so badly, did not give Paul George that he gift wrapped the perfect excuse for LeBron to leave. Yeah. All LeBron has to say is, look, I can't work for this guy, Dan Gilbert. When I read those words, I don't know what's going to happen with our team. That seems to me like a shot at Dan Gilbert's management as owner and, you know, to a lesser degree, maybe communication with a guy like Kobe Altman, who, you know, I would be very surprised if they tried to move away from Ty Lue here during the season. So it seems to me like LeBron's, you know, just calling back that situation and reminding everybody like, hey, don't forget, like we're not really supposed to be in this exact situation right now. Uh, Dan Gilbert screwed up all of last summer. Okay, so that's a pretty charitable reading of that quote, though. Um, I mean, I, I think he could have made that point by saying Ty Lue is not the problem. We've won a title with Ty Lue. There are bigger problems, and I don't know what's going to happen with this team. Like That would have clarified his message there and made it pretty obvious to everybody that he was talking about Kobe Altman and, and the ownership situation without 
kind of taking a jab at Ty Lue. Like, basically, I don't think that LeBron is ever making a, mis- a mistake in terms of, like, these these passive-aggressive shots he takes. And so I think he left it deliberately ambiguous for whatever reason regarding his feelings toward Lou. And I to me, that just seems like BS at this point. I mean, it just... LeBron, I'm kind of sick of that passive aggressive act in Cleveland. It's it, and he it's one it's the one thing that he's been allowed to sort of skate on for the last couple of years because I think a lot of people recognize number one, this is the second greatest player of all time, and number two, this is someone who everyone was way too hard on through the first half of his career. So he kind of gets a free pass on some of the shadier sleazier things he does sometimes around that team and uh yeah let me add a number three though he was also dealing with fighter pilot david blatt there so i think all bets were off (laughs) i mean that's completely fair that is 100 percent but i'm with you he needed to back ty lu a little bit stronger than i would hope not that he gets fired he could have done a little bit more there but his messaging here the reason why it's oblique is because he's wanting the attention a different place right he doesn't want the headline to be uh lebron backs ty lu which of course he would back ty lu right that's what you would assume he wants the headline to be like wait a minute, you know, is LeBron worried about Ty Lue? Why would he be worried about Ty yeah. Lue? And it's cal- it's calculating, and uh, I'm not sure it serves Ty Lue's best interest to do it this way, uh, but ultimately, I think LeBron's out for LeBron first, and uh, he needs an exit strategy next summer if it comes to that, and this is a very clear uh, you know, point of reference, you know, we can look back on this in July if he leaves and say, well, remember when he said that about Ty Lue? Clearly something wasn't right with Dan Gilbert. Yeah. And I mean, there's no question that whenever he does leave, Dan Gilbert is getting blamed. And I think that's going to be a moment that most basketball fans cheer. Uh, I'm excited for it too. So <laughs> no, no problem with that strategy from LeBron. The last thing I wanted to say about the Cavs, I've seen a number of people highlight Isaiah as the problem. And I think that's kind of insane, right? When you look at that roster and look at the struggles they were having before Isaiah showed up and I granted that the lineups with Isaiah and LeBron, like the numbers, even in a small sample have been pretty ugly, especially on defense. Um, I think I, I saw something where Isaiah was like minus 20, uh, I'd forget the specific stat because there are like dozens of those thrown out on Twitter every day, but, um, but it's been ugly, (laughs) but I think that blaming him for the broader issues is pretty unfair. Yeah. It's way too early to scapegoat him. One thing I'd say though, I mentioned on Christmas when Isaiah's back, love's life is going to get more difficult. Remember I said that defensively, the the two of them are going to have a harder time. It's very true. And the other thing is, when you play small lineups, it's hard to cover for the smallest guy in the league, right? So if you're going small ball and you don't have any size and you don't have any real interior defense and you have a guy who gets overpowered regularly like Isaiah has for his entire career, that's really tricky. And, you know, you got to give a lot of credit to the Celtics defense last season for covering for Isaiah, for having, you know, length on the perimeter and for having, you know, a guy like Horford in the middle, you know, doing his job and, and smartly covering it and things like that. But Isaiah, in some senses, is being set up to fail a little bit in Cleveland. Right. And the question is, can he get back 
right offensively so that he can kind of, uh, you know, uh, overcome that. And, you know, we saw a really nice performance from him the first game out against Portland, and it's been a little bit more hit or miss, as you would expect coming back from an injury since then. Uh, he needs more hits than misses, and the questions about his defense are going to dissipate if he's back clicking like a true number two score. Yeah, and it's tough because I think part of what would be perfect next to LeBron is a, is a knockdown shooter. And Isaiah is not really that like there are nights when he can be that guy, but there are also a lot of nights where like he needs 20 shots to hit eight or nine and, uh, and he needs the ball in his hands. And so like, we always knew it was going to be kind of an awkward fit, but um, I'm just not going to stand for people to like point at his defense and say that, that everything changed when he got there. Uh, Last question. Do you, have you changed your mind at all about Cleveland winning the East after the last couple of weeks? Um, I mean, their defense has gotten progressively worse. The LeBron factor is what's got me the most nervous because if he just stays in denial, doesn't take any time off, keeps playing huge minutes, I, I could actually envision a scenario where for the first time in his career, he runs out of gas. Yeah. But I also trust in LeBron's ability to manage those things. And so I want to see how this goes. Uh, I would like to reserve any Cleveland panic until the first week after the All-Star break. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he takes it very easy over that week, kind of catches his breath. Um, but I think that the people who are ready to just crown him the MVP after Harden went down, uh, I think the race us, is a lot right? more complicated than that. Yeah, I mean, he he moved to the front. He should have moved to the front. He was my midseason MVP, but the cracks are just starting to show a little bit with his energy levels, and that's what's concerning. But if LeBron is, you know, playing A-plus LeBron in the playoffs, which is what we've expected for the last eight or nine years, then I don't see any of these teams in the East, Toronto, Boston, whoever, being able to keep up with them, even if, you know, he's bailing out all these guys defensively too. That's the real issue for me is I just don't trust any of the teams in the East. I think the cracks have been starting to show in Cleveland, even back to last year. Like the Wizards, I know you're going to laugh. I really think the Wizards could have given them a series had they made it that far. And I think that like the right team could do that this year I but I think that the Wizards have like pretty low basketball IQ and have just been a a mess I'm trying not to curse they've been a mess uh the Bucks the the Bucks would be a much scarier team if they had a real coach and then the, the Celtics and the Raptors I don't trust them to have the firepower and granted Boston could get Hayward back and it could get pretty interesting but um that's the like I would be I would be more comfortable picking against the Cavs in the East if any if they had any sort of competition. Whereas if you put them in the West, I really think like I would take Houston over them in a series, and uh, that's a good transition here to our next topic. Yeah, I, I, what? Look, you were just reiterating the same old AAA the show argument we've had for these last couple of seasons. So I appreciate you doing that. <laughs> I guess on behalf of the on behalf of the listeners, I think we we are going to wish for the Wizards to make the playoffs and, and to face Cleveland, so you can show up in a tuxedo and get really excited totally. to get knocked out in five games. <laughs> All I'm saying is it would have gone six games. Okay, I'm not saying anybody would have lost, but uh, it would have been more than what Boston did. Um, but let's talk about so now Houston here. You want to praise the Rockets, right? Don't you want to get real excited about Houston's <laughs> I, big win over Golden State? I, I, kn- I know you wait, saw that. I can't wait to talk about team fish intestines. Um, Rohanth says, first of all, 
Gotta give you guys credit. Y'all are by far the best NBA podcast I listen to. Thank you, Rohanth. Uh, I've been a diehard Rockets fan for almost a decade now. Just wanted to know your thoughts on Rockets Warriors this weekend. And Andrew, I wanted to know your thoughts on the Rockets being 17-0 and when James Harden, Chris Paul, and Clint Capella are playing together. Do you want to jump on the bandwagon now? Uh, my answer is I do not want to jump on the bandwagon just yet. But man, watching that game on Saturday night, it's starting to get like I I don't think the Warriors should fear Houston whatsoever in terms of like the bottom line and winning a playoff series. But I do think it's it's pretty clear that if Houston is healthy, they're going to be able to push Golden State more than any team we've seen. And I think part of that is the the weaknesses and vulnerabilities that we're seeing in the Golden State machine, like. If Iguodala is not a factor whatsoever, then like that makes the the Warriors like twenty percent more vulnerable. And and Draymond has not been playing well. I know he's an All Star starter for you, but like he just has been kind of at playing at like seventy five percent capacity for most of the year. And so t- take those guys out of the mix, or, or Draymond like bring him down to to three quarters of the player that he was the last few years. Like I still think the the Warriors are going to win and there's no way I'm picking against a team with Steph and KD, but uh, the Rockets can push them. Yeah. You're being too hard on Draymond. I don't know why, but uh, in terms of kind of a mess, he doesn't look right. Like just watching him move, watching some of the decisions he makes on, on offense. Like it's a little tough. Yeah. Not very tough. But when you look at Houston, first of all, really nice victory couple of minor things. Chris Paul and P.J. Tucker continued to go at each other on the court uh, like they did in that one game that I, I called out a few months ago. So I had to do some digging. It turns out they're like BFFs from very, very young age, like under the under 10, basically, that they, they've been playing together. So their hate love goes really deep. So if one of those two happens to start choking the other one on the court, don't panic. It's going to be okay. <laughs> they're, they're actually friends. Um, in terms of the win against uh, the Warriors over the weekend. I thought they were really solid down the stretch um, in places where I was worried that it was going to get a a little bit away from them. Uh, They did not ride the momentum wave as hard as they often do. And they were able to exploit some matchup advantages with uh, a guy like Iguodala being out. Uh, They were able to pick on some weak links. The bigger problem for me, though, uh, Rohanth and you know the rest of the Rockets fans out there is they lost the press conferences really hard. They went too far. <laughs> they made a classic challenger mistake. Clint Capella Clint comes Capella, out and man. says the Rockets. Come on, man. He said he says the Rockets are better than the Warriors. Clint, you do not do that. Classic rookie mistake in terms of trying to be a you know a team on this level. And then I think uh, it was Eric Gordon who was you know elaborating at length about how much they love to pick on Steph Curry uh, in pick and rolls. And so from that standpoint, uh, it just got really really dicey. It was one of those moments where you could see this coming back to bite them pretty hard. Golden State going up twenty five points in Game One of a playoff series, and these guys bringing that uh, bulletin board material back and throwing it in their faces. So. Um, I think it might have been a net loss for the Rockets over the weekend <laughs> when you throw all those things together. That's even though take. I've been the Houston's, I, I've even even though I've been Houston's biggest supporter on this podcast all season long, I look at it as a net loss. Yeah, that's a fantastic 
Rockets theory. Great read on the weekend in general. Um, I, I like that you're more skeptical of the Rockets than I am in this segment. And uh, I'm just trying to be nice. I, obviously, I don't respect the Rockets. I don't think the Warriors respect the Rockets. And I think that's just kind of where we're going to be until we get to the playoffs. I will say, despite your sort of like brushing off the Draymond concerns, they have a negative net rating with that Draymond at center lineup, uh, the death lineup this season, which is an issue. Like I, that's not it, the sample size is big enough to be a little concerned, but maybe that's about Iguodala being out. Who knows? Anyways, I have bigger news because in the middle of your soliloquy on the Rockets just now, a couple texts came through. I verified it on Twitter. Jason Kidd has been fired as the coach of the Milwaukee Bucks. Giannis Inc. is free, soon to be under new management. Assistant coach Joe Prunty is set to take over. I mean, I don't know where to begin. I, th- I think this is a definite step forward. What do you think? Wow. Well, did we make this happen? Did we visualize this? Uh, no, I mean, <laughs> I'm not going to let remember. you take any credit for this, but we did. We were in early on how bad a kid, uh, uh, how bad a coach kid was. So I think certainly we were, we were in lockstep with the Bucks fans on Twitter who are, who by the way, have been great, but also completely insane for the past two or three months. Like I've, I've fallen into a pocket of Bucks Twitter that goes super hard on the on the coaching stuff. And they've like if somebody would come out and and even strike a neutral tone with Kid, they would go after him. But ultimately, they were right. So well, no shots at anybody. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. They're not insane at all. They're the sane ones. It's everybody <laughs> yeah, else who right. didn't see that's it who fair. was the insane ones. C- couple of thoughts. First of all. They were underperforming all season long, and Kid had no answers. He kept going back to the same old excuse of, we're young, we're young, we're young. And after 20 rounds of going back and forth with the media, where the media points out that your team's not actually that young, you got to come up with a different excuse. Uh, He didn't have one. Now, there's no question they're underperforming. The way Giannis has played this season, they should be much better in the standings than they have been. As for Prunty, he was a former assistant with the Blazers. Quiet, mild-mannered guy. Uh... Certainly doesn't have the Hall of Fame playing career of of a Jason Kidd, so it's going to be a big time change. Now we'll see how that adjustment goes. Uh, he, he has stepped in at various points uh, over the course of his career. He's not a novice at all. He's you know kind of a life or assistant coach, um, but it's tricky when you make that midseason firing because uh, that can easily go one of two ways, right? And and you hope that it inspires these players and kind of a new voice helps. Uh, when you put in a guy who doesn't have that same type of commanding personality or that uh, reputation of you know you know Hall of Fame type uh, resume, uh, it could go the other way. So it's a gamble there uh, from the the standpoint of the organization. Mm-hmm. At the same time, it was a gamble to let Jason Kidd handle their end game scenarios yes. <laughs> when he's up four doing crazy fouling stuff and just kind of messing around. So um, you know, one thing I, I would I'd be interested in finding out here during the aftermath. You know, how bought in was Kid here in these last final months? You know, I think I made some jokes at one point about is he just trying to get himself fired with some of the the strategic things he was doing? Was he fully invested in this group and, and kind of taking them to the next level? Um, you know, I think that's an obvious question. From Giannis's standpoint, um, 
you know, this is going to be a hiccup. You know, Jordan went through coach after coach after coach early in his career until they finally kind of got it right until he found one he could trust. Their next hire, you know, Milwaukee's, uh, you know, heading into next season, presumably is when they're going to do it. That is a big time hire. And I think if you're any sort of a coaching candidate out there, uh, you know, with chops, you want that job because the oh, upside yeah. is absolutely enormous. And by the way, Bucks front office and management, you better be willing to spend big on that coach. No, Don't shortcut, you know, none of this nonsense. People don't want to coach in Milwaukee because of the weather and all those other things. Pay whatever it takes to get a really quality coach in there so that we can see Giannis Inc. unfurl like it's supposed to. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a lot to respond to there. Uh, I will start by saying, you mentioned Joe Prunty has been in this situation a couple times before. Just the name Joe Prunty kind of screams interim coach, which I like. It'll be a... It, it'll be a weird situation the rest of the year, and I, I think everyone should temper their Bucks expectations accordingly. Um, but you mentioned the, the four-point play situation earlier in the year, and like Jason Kidd has made a couple of just like really baffling decisions uh, in relation to basic math that have been highlighted in the, in the media. But to me, and you, and you hit on this as well, like I think Kid was really concerning from a big picture standpoint because when a team underachieves year after year, you begin looking for like short-term fixes that can try to put them over the top. And like <clears throat> I don't think that the Bucks were going to do that with DeAndre Jordan, but like, everybody was worried that they would, and they've been doing that in the past. I mean, like... One of the things I go back to that a lot of people forget now is they traded Brandon Knight and they brought in Michael Carter Williams, who is a Jeff Schwartz client. And I know like people don't want to hear Jeff Schwartz conspiracy theories, but I'm sure that Kid tacitly approved or actively approved that trade. And it was a stupid deal at the time. And they would have a top five pick from where they'd have the Lakers pick coming this year, had they not made that move, had they simply traded for uh, traded Brandon Knight directly to Phoenix, and so I don't know. I think like that's the that's why you fire Jason Kidd is because underachieving year after year and and taking chances on players that don't make sense and and basically putting players in a, in a situation where they're not going to be optimized, it just screws with the the bigger picture in a lot of different subtle ways. And, uh, and there was, I think like it was pretty clear to everybody that there was no way Milwaukee was ever going to sort of hit their ceiling with him in charge. I think he, he did some good things to get them where they are now that will probably be lost in a lot of people's columns about this, but like he wasn't an awful coach for a young team that needed to learn how to win some, but in order to go from winning 43 games to winning 55, like he wasn't the guy. Yeah, for sure. And that's why, you know, we were banging this drum really early this season because Giannis is not a 40 win player. Yeah. You know, that was two years ago. It's time for this next step. And, you know, I'm seeing tweets right now from people saying that, you know, Giannis is devastated by this. And, uh, you know, that's for my uh, homie from Portland, Chris B. Haynes. Uh, Giannis. From me to you, get over it. It's okay, man. <laughs> Life goes on. Jason Kidd taught you a lot. He's not the only coach in the NBA. He's just the one that you know the best. There's plenty of other good coaches, great voices out there for you to guide You know your next steps. 
uh, think big picture. So much of Giannis's success has had nothing to do with coaching. So much of it has had to do with his own pure, unbelievable talent and his work ethic. And I hope that, you know, once the dust settles here, he's able to kind of hone in on that because he's still a very young player, uh, you know, thousands of miles from home. I hope he's able to refocus here for the rest of the stretch of the season and this doesn't turn into a lost season for him. Yeah, I wonder what happened and what what the tipping point was. Um, I'm sure more will start to trickle out. I just read a tweet from Ryan Masillo, um at former, or I guess he's still at ESPN, but he just said that Jabari Parker and Kidd have not been speaking. I still think Jabari is a pretty interesting trade piece for them, and if I were them, I would try to I would try to move him before you have to pay him, but. Like it, it doesn't seem like kid has been doing anything out of the ordinary. Maybe we've been paying attention long enough to realize, to have realized earlier than everyone else that kid is just kind of stupid, but like he hasn't, the only thing I can think of is, is a week ago when he came out and, and reiterated that they were a young team when like everybody else on that roster besides Giannis is 26 years or older. But, um, I don't know. No, like I said, like, he said that now? 20 times. They just got, well, they just got smacked by Philly by 20 plus. And, you know, it, it sends them down the standings a little bit and they're in fight for the playoffs. Look, if you're ownership, yeah, you the last thing you want to do is waste. Spot. Yeah, you don't want to waste an MVP caliber season from Giannis. I'm not saying he's the MVP, but he's like top five, right? You can't be the ninth seed in the Eastern Conference. <laughs> if yes. you've got a player like that, I mean, come on. And also, uh, Looking at their schedule here, they have lost four of five. Their lone victory is above the Wizards, who uh, the Wizards are struggling more than anyone right now. Um, yeah, I, I can see why they would do this. Nope, they, they've lost uh, six of eight. But uh, but yeah, I'm happy for all the Bucks fans in my life. I don't think I talked to a single Bucks fan over the last couple months, and, and I've become friends with several uh, through the years and through the years following Giannis. Everybody was freaked out about Jason Kidd's involvement with the future of this team. And this is a major step in the right direction. Arguably four or five months too late, but at least they did it. Yeah, and I think another reason on the timing, uh, it's not just about the losses that they have just endured, but it's also about the upcoming schedule. I mean, if these guys are thinking like executives and owners usually think i mean you want to put a guy like prunny and and that staff in position for succeed so listen to some of the teams that are going to be playing here in the next two weeks phoenix brooklyn chicago philly minnesota new york brooklyn new york so you know you potentially have you know one or two playoff teams out of your next eight games i mean you would hope that would you know be a nice kickstart for prunny and uh, help stabilize things now if they go through that stretch taking losses uh they're going to catch a lot of, you know, second guessing, no question. But they did set up their interim guy with pretty much the best possible timing for success here. And I think that's certainly, I would uh, strongly guess, played a role in in sort of why now. Yeah, um, that's, a, that's a great point, actually. Uh, maybe they can get a little momentum rolling before the, uh, before the All-Star break. All right, so um, I'm a little thrown off by the Jason Kidd bombshell here, but this has been... Uh, So I don't know what to do. We have Knicks questions. We have Hornets questions. We have leftover questions from the international piece last week. Why don't we save Knicks, Hornets, and international questions for Friday? The one thing that we should mention before the end here, all-star teams are announced officially Tuesday night. So 
I'm going to let you list your team here. Who, who do you have? Okay, so let's start in the Eastern Conference. I'll start listing names, and if you don't have them, then we'll have to debate. Okay. So I've got DeRozan, obviously, as a reserve. You know, he was a starter, so that's kind of a no-brainer. Right. Um, then I've got Horford because I, I took uh, Embiid as my starter. Then I've got Porzingis. Then I've got Kevin Love. Then I've got Kyle Lowry. Okay. I don't know about then Lowry, I've got man. Bradley. Then I've got Bradley Beal. And then on my last pick... It's tough. I think I'm going Andre Drummond. Okay. Um, no room for, for Goran Dragic. He was on my very short list. I mean, when I'm looking at the guys I snubbed, it was basically Dragic, John Wall, Kemba Walker, Ben Simmons, Chris Middleton. Uh, I think Middleton deserves more attention than he's gotten, but when the team's floundering like they are, you can't give them two All-Stars. Um, I think Dragic as the kind of quintessential Miami representative makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, at the same time, you know, like it's not overwhelming. It kind of came down to between him and and Drummond for my final spot. I think Lowry, even though he's been kind of in a smaller role, has still been very, very good in his minutes and efficiency is good. And then I just think Beal's been an all-star this year front to back, um, so I think of all the snubs that I feel the worst about, it's probably Dragic. Um, otherwise, uh, you know, I, I didn't have too much agonizing. Okay. Well, I would take Dragic over Drummond, and I feel bad about it, but not that bad because I don't think that the Pistons are actually good, and I think that the Heat are actually good and are good in large part because Dragic is, has just been awesome for another couple months here, and... I think everybody's been expecting him to fall off, and he just hasn't really. I I would also be fine putting him in over Kyle Lowry, but that's another one where I, I would feel probably more guilty about that because Lowry has been really good, and the Raptors have been excellent for most of the season and will probably finish the, the year as the best team in the East. But um, I agree for the most part. Now, the West is where it gets a lot trickier. So who do you have out there? Yeah, and just one thing in defense of the Lowry pick, and I didn't intend to do this, but there's kind of three teams in the East that really matter, Toronto, Boston, and Cleveland. And the way I did my roster, they basically got at least two representatives each. Yeah, um, That just sort of felt fair. If I didn't have Lowry, it felt like I was snubbing Toronto a little bit. That wasn't like the major deciding factor. You know me, I'm not afraid to to rattle the termite cages, but uh, <laughs> in this... In this uh, situation it well, kind of felt and by the uh, way like the most equitable way to do and it and that's exactly why i would put Dragic in over drummond is because i think that the heat matter more in the east than the pistons do um and you've seen it over the last month or so as, t- as teams begin to separate and the and detroit sort of falls back to earth a little bit and uh and i also just think that like Dragic has been doing this for a really long time and almost every year goes unrecognized. And so it would be nice to have him in the mix at least this year. Cause I, cause I don't know how much longer he's going to be able to do this. Um, he, he does seem like he should be due to slow down, but he's been he, like the, the heat have no business being as good as they've been. Uh, and I'd like to, I'd like to give him a little bit of love. You didn't have Ben Simmons in there. Did you? No, he was on my snubs list. Okay. Yeah, I think I think that's right. I think Simmons, could, in a different year where there was less depth uh, at, among guards, like I think 
that he would have a decent case, even even playing the style that he is now. But like, if John Wall isn't going to make it, I don't think Ben Simmons should make it. And I don't think John Wall should make it. I'm glad you didn't have him in there because he's been kind of a mess. Um, I can't. Just yeah. a side note: Can you believe that he took the team meeting thing public? Well, go ahead and elaborate on it because uh, some of us don't really care about these mediocre <laughs> AAA teams who don't follow them night to night. Okay, so look, we talked about the Wizards last week because of the the blowout loss to the Charlotte Hornets. They followed that with a Friday night win against the Detroit Pistons. Then John Wall, in the post game and in the aftermath of that game, comes. He's on national TV with ESPN and gives an interview where he references a team meeting that may have hurt some people's feelings and and may have contributed to the loss in Charlotte. And then I he, I think he did it a separate time in the locker room where he sat and explained that. There was a team meeting where everybody was trying to be honest with each other and it rubbed some people the wrong way. And that's why they went out and lost to the Hornets. Uh, They gave up 80 points in the first half against the Hornets on last Wednesday night. It was a complete disaster. And the idea that Wall thinks that's a valid excuse for just laying down against a pretty awful Charlotte team, that alone is, is a bad look. But also taking any of this public is such a bad look, and the whole thing just rubs me the wrong way. And it, it's continuing the year of John Wall being kind of a crappy leader. So uh, I just had to get that out there somewhere. Yeah, I can't wait till they play Cleveland in the playoffs. <laughs> uh, I would say, <laughs> I, 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 I would say this though, I it's a tough case between Dragic and Drummond. I mean, you can go back yeah. and forth on it. I think structurally, like. I think Drummond might be slightly more important to what level of success that Detroit has had this season. And they were really, really good to start the season. Um, you know, in a vacuum, there's a lot of players who I would select before Andre Drummond, including, you know, Chris Middleton, Ben Simmons, Kemba Walker, John Wall, a lot of these guys who in a vacuum certainly are, are players who I'd rather have. I just think for the body of work here, just this season, his numbers and, you know, a little bit of the success story early on for Detroit. I thought he warranted that last spot, but look, I, I'm har- I'm hardly Andre Drummond's biggest fan. Now, in terms of the uh, Western Conference, here's my team. Okay. Now, you had Aldridge in the starting lineup because you know you're starting to show some maturity here <laughs> as a 30 plus year old sharp, and Elizabeth, uh, you know, our Mormon 16 year old listener, sur- surely appreciates that. In addition to Aldridge, I had Carl uh, Anthony Towns, okay, and I had Demarcus Cousins. Now, I obviously had, uh, you know, Jimmy Butler. Uh, we couldn't get him onto the starting lineup, so I had Jimmy Butler. To me, Westbrook is a no-brainer after he's turned his season around a little bit. Uh, I also think you've got to take Clay Thompson uh, for four Warriors. You know, that's generally been my approach as long as they've all been good. When they're so clearly above everybody else on the court, they deserve it mm-hmm. uh, as a team. Uh, and Clay's been really, really good all season long, too, although he never really gets talked about. The last spot was the trickiest one for me. Yeah. Uh, it came down to Paul Paul George, Damian Lillard, and Lou Williams. And can you guess who I took? There's no way you took Lou Williams unless you were just trying to do something nice for me. So, And I also don't think that you would go <laughs> I, I would never do that, by the way. <laughs> don't worry. I know you would never do that. Uh which is why you definitely didn't take Lou Williams. So I would guess Paul George, because I also don't think you want to be a Portland homer. 
Uh, it's not the Portland Homer aspect of it. Lillard's missed time. Uh-huh. He's had a good season, not a great season. I wouldn't even say it's one of his best. Portland's offense has not been exceptional. He's been an, a, a strong offensive player this year, as always, but not an elite-level team-wide impact. And to me, Paul George defensively was one of the defensive player of the year candidates through the first half of the season. Uh, his uh, shooting efficiency, which we ragged on a lot earlier this season, if you look at compared to him and Lillard right now, you know, true shooting's you know, pretty similar. Yeah. Obviously, Lillard's scoring more points than Paul George, has the ball in his hands more than Paul George, uh, but that's a function of team context uh, and pretty easily explained away. I mean, Paul George could average a lot more than he does in Oklahoma City. I think you look at the quality of his minutes two-way, all around, you know, I'm taking Paul George uh, based on, uh, you know, this season. Now, if Oklahoma City was the eighth or ninth seed uh, and they hadn't made a little bit of upward momentum here in recent weeks, I don't think I would have made that argument. I would have tried to spread the wealth around a little bit and picked Lillard or Lou Williams, but I'm comfortable giving them two representatives. Okay. Uh, I do not, I don't really care, <laughs> um, but thinking this through, First, first of all, if if I were ch- faced with a, a choice between those three, I would take Lou Williams because Paul George and Damian Lillard are going to have f- amazing 15-year careers, whereas this is like a three-month religious experience with Lou Williams, and I think we need to recognize that. <laughs> and, uh, and so that's where I stand. Um, and also, Damian Lillard, number one, is not... Like, the idea that he has some unimpeachable claim to being an all-star year after year and he's been snubbed is not totally accurate particularly in the west where you've got like four of the best guards in the entire league i i understand why he's not in the all-star game every year and uh i also think that pissed off damian lillard is more fun than the than sending him to the all-star game so i'm fine with that i think i think it's I think it's time to update the second t- half of that take because it's so tiresome. I mean, this guy has begged <laughs> for true. all-star votes in every single possible way going on three years now. Enough is enough. We get it. And look, if Chris Paul hadn't got hurt early to start the season, Lillard's not even on this list yeah. at all. We're not even talking about him. That's Chris Paul's spot. So until he's better than Steph Curry, Russell Westbrook, James Harden, and the other amazing guards that are on this list— until his team's playing at like a top four, you know, C level, until they have a really elite offense with him as the main guy, what's he whining about? That's the thing. I I just don't get it. And I'm a fan of him, uh, but I just think that his game is not super efficient and the Blazers are not that great. And and it's not not really his fault because like the, the roster is a mess, but I just don't think that we should... It shouldn't be a given that he belongs in every all-star conversation. Uh, but for some reason, that's where we've been. And and he's treated as this martyr. Big picture, though, as you were talking, you and I have gone back and forth over the last few days. You know that I have been annoyed by the hashtag televise the draft movement. And of course, it, it's part Probably my hottest current take is that we don't need to televise the draft and everybody demanding that they televised the all-star draft is wasting their breath and in a plea for retweets. Because I just think that if we're talking about this in real terms, the draft would be incredibly corny if we put it on TV. Like I don't really need LeBron on national TV pretending to care about Victor Oladipo and like just if we go back through the history of 
of NBA events like this, they're usually much cooler in theory than they really are in practice. So we don't need to televise the draft. However, as you were talking, I think that the idea of LeBron or Steph choosing between those, like some of the final all-stars would be incredible. So what we really need to do is name the starters and name a captain and then let the captains choose the final seven or eight all-stars every year. Either that, or we could televise the group chats around the uh, around the draft because I think players talking shit amongst themselves would be a lot more entertaining than like LeBron or or Steph trying to be diplomatic on uh, on national TV. But mostly, like I would love to see LeBron choose between Lou Williams and Paul George. I was going to say, I mean, what's the only thing better than an incredibly tepid endorsement for Andre Drummond as an all-star from me <laughs> yeah. is, is, is the exact same yeah. uh, tepid response from LeBron who says, okay, fine, you're the last guy. Get over here on my team. Yeah, that would be pretty funny to watch. Look, I, I'm kind of in the televised the draft camp, but I'm also in the camp of like everybody just chill. Like we had a guy lie down on the court during last year's all-star game during live action. That was Steph Curry. <laughs> We have a long way to go to improve this thing. And hopefully the on-court product is better this year. And if not, I'm going to have to dust off my cranky old man column and just crush it again for like the fourth straight year. So yeah. uh, I think, you know, that that's just kind of how it is. Um, you know, in terms of, you know, people kind of bending over backwards, shrieking over televised the draft, like you would want it to be good. You know, you don't want it to just seem like, thrown together and i guess my concern would be is if they haven't made a decision on it and there's still this campaigning going here down to the final minute that would almost definitely turn into a bad sign that's my thing and, is, uh, look, like most of the all-star events already feel that way they already feel like they're thrown together everybody's kind of just going through the motions i don't think we need to add to it like two weeks before the game even happens it's basically two of the biggest stars in the world sleepwalking through their rosters. I don't think it would be that great. Andrew, I'm really just kind of concerned that more than anything, this is just another event for Kevin Hart to kind of weasel his way into. And it turns into like this fake laugh, you know, extravaganza. I'm just not sure we need another yeah. one of those, do we? Yeah, it? we're all set. We're all set. But listen, I, I do have a couple ideas for, for potential all-star formats going forward. And uh, what we could talk about those on friday because I, I i really think like team world versus team usa could be pretty fun inject a little nationalism in to sort of see if that sort of stirs the passions uh on, on either side probably wouldn't but it's worth a try and we have a bunch of questions from listeners all over the world who read the international story and we also have a lot of trade takes to get to i mean we never even mentioned the hornets um continuing our streak of the last six months but at some point, we should talk about Kemba Walker and what's going on in Charlotte and the Knicks. So, okay, okay, buddy, buddy, buddy. What? You're just rambling right now. We're gonna go ahead and get off this call. We're so excited about Jason Kidd going out. We're so grateful to Elizabeth for her awesome email to start the show that we're just giddy over here. We're gonna regroup. We're gonna talk trade deadline stuff. There's no question. If you have trade deadline type questions openfloormail at gmail.com openfloormail at gmail.com we'll get to them and there were a ton of great international questions too about your piece and just in general people sharing their 
uh, little slice of the open floor globe with us, which are were always great to read. We love getting those. And we're certainly going to go through those as well uh, later this week. Andrew, until then, don't forget Ben.Golliver on Instagram. I will talk Giannis to you. Giannis is free. We did it. All right, man. I'll talk to you soon. We did do it. <laughs> Another great edition of Open Floor is in the books. Did you know Locked On has a daily podcast for all 30 NBA teams? If you're a Lakers fan, search Locked On Lakers. A Celtics fan, search Locked On Celtics. Warriors fans, search Locked On Warriors. Yes, all 30 NBA teams have a daily bite-sized podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. Search on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts for Locked On, your favorite team. Or tell your smart speaker to play podcasts, Locked On, your favorite team. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.